Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. Happy 4th of July weekend. Joining Tom today is Missy Clifton, and I bet they've got some things on their minds they want to talk about. So take it over, Tom. We've already recorded the the second hour, so the Bible reading will be at the beginning of the second hour. This, um, This hour... I want to start off by talking about the state of Mississippi. Uh, My mother grew up in Corinth, Mississippi, which is almost in Tennessee, far northern Mississippi. Uh, The the man you just heard singing was Jimmy Reed. He was from a little place called Dunleith, which was the name of a plantation uh, in the Delta. The Delta is the uh, strip of land uh adjacent to the mississippi river i don't know maybe 25 miles wide it starts in memphis and goes probably all the way to vicksburg maybe natchez uh, and it, it it is maybe the most fertile growing land anywhere to be found in the world uh, it was also the crucible for uh the, the kind of music that uh, has affected what we call popular music in, in the U.S. And Jimmy Reed was one of the uh, influential players of that kind of music. Now, why are we talking about Mississippi today? Well, something in the sports arena just happened that almost never happens. I mean, I don't think it ever has happened. I'd like somebody to tell me if it ever has happened. Nobody's made at all a point. You haven't heard anything about it. But two baseball teams from two different, the two major state universities in Mississippi. Last year it was Mississippi State. This year it was the University of Mississippi at Oxford, also known as Ole Miss, won the College Baseball World Series. That's the NCAA championship. It would be like Kentucky winning the NCAA one year and Louisville winning it the next. And has that ever happened? Well, it's closer to being have happened. I know U of L won it in the early 80s and Kentucky had won it in 78. So it might have happened two or three years apart. But I don't know that it's ever happened in back-to-back years. So that's that's a biggie right there. Uh, but the other thing that's happened in, in uh, um, really in, in the, the governance of our country is that in the Dobbs versus Jackson uh, case, which came to the Supreme Court, which took place in Jackson, Mississippi, and, and came on up the ladder. Um, it overturned Roe versus Wade, which made gave gave people a constitutional right to abortion. Now, there's been all kinds of hand wringing on the left that oh, it's gonna women are gonna die. We're going back to coat hangers and back alley abortions. That's not the case, and. Uh, you know, abortion will be uh, uh, available for people. It's just not going to be available in, in every state. Uh, 
Although you now hear the politicians saying, especially the ones that are aligned with the progressive wing, well, we're just going to choose not to uh, enforce that law. This is something you hear a lot of these days. We're not going to enforce that particular law. We're not going to enforce the law of against property destruction if it's protesting for something that we consider to be politically correct. So I don't want to get into that. I want to talk about the state of Mississippi. My mother uh, grew up in Corinth, Mississippi, which is not far from Oxford. Oxford, Mississippi, I would argue, is the capital of the concept of Mississippi, the intellectual concept of Mississippi. It's not Jackson. My friend, or I would have to say acquaintance, Julia Reed, the late Julia Reed, described Jackson, Mississippi as a city without a soul. She she was from Greenville, which is in the Delta, which has plenty of soul. Uh, and she ended up moving to New Orleans. But um, Oxford was the home of William Faulkner. The only way I could ever read or get through any Faulkner novels was that there was a man that taught English at Sewanee named Hank Arnold. We called him Happy Hank. Hank Arnold had a booming voice. Uh, You could hear him on the next floor. If he, he always left the door open. His classes were not lecture classes. They were discussion classes. You read the novel, and then we would talk about it for five or six sessions, and then we'd read another novel and talk about it. So I, I got to read uh, As I Lay Dying, The Sound and the Fury, Go Down Moses, which really isn't one uh, story. It's a series of short stories, or you might call them vignettes. And I read probably the most difficult of those uh, was a, a, a novel called Light in August. Now, Faulkner wrote many other stories, and actually, he spent some time in Hollywood writing movie scripts, you know, to make money. Uh, but in 1950, Uh, I think pretty much on the basis of The Sound and the Fury, he won the Nobel Prize for Literature. He gave a speech, and we're going to play it here, uh, because it summarizes what I would call the spirit of the Mississippi literary uh, renaissance. We are waiting for it to load. And Kentucky and Louisville did win back-to-back championships in 2012 and 2013 in basketball. So it happened. So, it but happen. it's never happened in baseball. A life's work in the agony and Here's William Faulkner. The spirit, not for glory and least of all for profit, but to create out of the materials of the human spirit something which did not exist before. So this award is only mine in trust. It will not be difficult to find a dedication for the money part of it commensurate with the purpose and significance of its origin. But I would like to do the same with the acclaim too, by using this moment as a pinnacle from which I might be listened to by the young men and women already dedicated to the same anguish and travail, among whom is already that one who will someday stand here where I am standing. 
Our tragedy today is a general and universal physical fear, so long sustained by now that we can even bear it. They are no longer problems of the spirit. There is only the question, when will I be blown up? Because of this, the young man or woman writing today has forgotten the problems of the human heart in conflict with itself, which alone cannot make good writing because only that is worth writing about, worth the agony and the sweat. He must learn them again. He must teach himself that the basis of all things is to be afraid, and teaching himself that, forget it forever, leaving no room in his workshop for anything but the old verities and truths of the heart, the old universal truth lacking which any story is ephemeral and doomed, love and honor and pity and pride and compassion and sacrifice. Until he does so, he labors under a curse. He writes not of love, but of lust, of defeats in which nobody loses anything of value, of victories without hope and most of all without pity or compassion. His griefs grieve on no universal bones, leaving no scars. He writes not of the heart, but of the glands. Until he relearns these things, he will write as though he stood among and watched the end of man. I decline to accept the end of man. It is easy enough to say that man is immortal simply because he will endure, that when the last ding-dong of doom has clanged and faded from the last worthless rock hanging tideless in the last red and dying evening, that even then there will still be one more sound, that of his puny, inexhaustible voice still talking. I refuse to accept this. I believe that man will not merely endure, he will prevail. He is immortal, not because he alone among creatures has an inexhaustible voice, but because he has a soul, a spirit capable of compassion and sacrifice and endurance. The poet's, the writer's duty is to write about these things. It is his privilege to help man endure by lifting his heart, by reminding him of the courage and honor and hope and pride and compassion and pity and sacrifice which have been the glory of his past. The poet's voice need not merely be the record of man. It can be one of the props, the pillars, to help him endure and prevail. Okay, that's not the entire thing, but it was the better recording of the ones we listened to. So, Travails. His travails. I, I like the one where he says, where nothing is lost. You know, what is there but the human spirit? If you really think about it in life. What, all, what is the only thing that endures? And see, that's the simple fact of this, is that this he was a son of Mississippi from the get-go. He lived at uh, Roanoke, R-O-W-A-N-O-A-K, uh, their little plantation or estate, if you will, in, in Oxford, which is not the Delta. So it's not a big cotton farm. It was a smaller farm. Uh, he spent most of his time in Mississippi spent some time, uh, on the West coast, uh, working in the movie industry, spent a little bit of time at the university of Virginia in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, as the poet, uh, in residence at, uh, university of Virginia wrote several excellent novels. Um, but he summarizes the, the struggle you know, he says, when will I be blown up? This is 1950. Everybody had seen the atomic bomb dropped on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And they thought, now that's going to be what's going to happen to us. But it was that fear that uh, dominated everybody started at the start of the 1950s. I don't know. I'm just interested in your thoughts on this. 
Well, you know, William Faulkner, he, you know, obviously old Southern family. Um, I've been to Oxford, by the way. I've spent a whole weekend in Oxford. And i got to tell you, it is an enchanting place. Mm-hmm. Did the did the Grove, um, tailgating, uh, did the Skybox, watching Ole Miss play football, um, did the shopping in Lamar Square. Um, it's, it's very enchanting. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, actually went to uh, high school with a girl from Oxford. She now teaches. She's a law professor at um, Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I enjoyed his speech because it, it's back to that kind of passionate old South honor, um, reminded me of, um, some things I was looking up for our second hour. We're going to be talking to Andy Bashir, and we were, Andy Bashir. listen to me. <laughs> It would be Flush the uh, it would be the other Andy Congressman yeah. Andy Barr. Right. Um, just we were talking about uh, armed forces, and uh, one of the little you know absurd facts that I came about was is that most of like two fifths of the military tend to come from the South. It's just two fifths. That's two like forty percent. Yeah, like forty percent of the of the recruits come from the South and the armed forces, okay. and and they've kind of taken a hit over the last year or the last couple of years since twenty twenty, mm-hmm. and so that that's that we'll we'll talk a little bit about that in the next hour. But um, what was kind of funny was I came across this this article that was talking about many throughout the history have observed the martial qualities of the Southerner. As he camped in Mississippi in September of 1863, Union General William T. Sherman observed in a letter of the young bloods of the South, quote-unquote, he had been fighting. He said, war suits them, and the rascals are brave, fine riders, bold to rashness, and they are the most dangerous set of men that this war has turned loose upon the world. They must all be killed or employed by us before we can hope for peace. They would attack the Yankees with a scream. They would they would go forward. They call it the rebel yell, and they would go forward like banshees. Um, you know, I mean, it was get get our friend Kent Brown to describe it sometime. It was uh, it, it's written down in places. Yeah, they were nuts, and and it's interesting that Sherman, you know, whose uh, golden statue is enshrined in central park in new york city uh, would would say you know we got to destroy this that's the beginning of the oppressive uh state if you will but i mean i, I think it's a i think it's a it's a, it's a description of what can be done in the human spirit you know because mississippi has been known for its poverty its backwardness it's uh it's uh recumbence in the face of Part of it is the climate. It's just hotter than hell down there, and it's oppressively humid. All from really from April through to November. I mean, pretty much, and it's you know that 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 works on you. That kind of works on your body, which can in turn work on your spirit. So anything you do is going to be despite you know the the environment you're in. Everything is is fighting you towards entropy, uh, giving up, letting nature just come in and take over. You're having to fight against it. And those that prevail or do something notable in the spirit realm do so despite what they're having to deal with. 
Well, it's interesting because uh, one of the books that I read back several years ago uh, was The Warmth of Other Suns, and it's basically a migration book that takes um, several viewpoints of the African-American experience out of the South. And, and you know, it, it's a fascinating read. I, it's, one of, it's actually one of my, it was one of my top books, I would say, um, just for its, it made it feel really real what it was like to live in the South at all levels, but particularly the African-American experience, if you will, coming up through the Jim, you know, from, from post-Civil War all the way through, you know, the turn of the century, um, all the way up through the Jim Crow laws and their, their exodus out of, you know, particularly Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, up into Chicago, Chicago, Harlem. I mean, then even those that went out West to California. Yeah. I mean, I will never know what it is obviously to be black, uh, and to be from a place like that, I will say that there were people that fought against all that. You got Booker T. Washington, the Tuskegee Institute, and there have been amazing people that rose out of it through music, through uh, other other means. You know, my mother was, I would say both informed by her raising in Mississippi and also scarred by it. It was kind of a multiple thing, as my wife says, slap smile. Uh, Sometimes, you know. Which I don't do. I don't slap and say smile. No, but 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 it's but an it, expression. Yeah, it's an expression of you know. Turn your cheek and yeah, just no, take it. Yeah, just take it, sort of. But I think that out of a place like Mississippi, which in many ways, by the intelligentsia in this country, has been written off, you get something amazing that happens. I mean. The New York, and I love the state of New York, adore the Mohawk River Valley. The things that were built back 100 years ago, 150 years ago, 200 years ago. But in a way, it's time has passed. The affluence that you see there in the state of New York and in New York City, it's old money. Nothing really new is being created there. I mean, you look, where is it really happening in this country today? It's in Silicon Valley. It's in California, which is suffering its own thing. But in the South, you have this fecundity that is fecund in an agricultural sense, but it also takes place in the human spirit. You know, I think a lot of people have also, it isn't as much in California as it was. I think it's in Texas and Arizona now as far as the all of those There's people. There's still a lot of real. They have gravitated. You look at something like Airbnb, incredible company, came out of California. It's, it's going to be a lot bigger than, it's that model. It's beautiful. So. All right, you've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Missy Clifton. If you want to hear more of the Tom Dupree Show, you can always go to DupreeFinancial.com under the blog and radio tab and listen to more. It's powered by Dupree Financial Group. 
We'll be back in just a few minutes with more of the Tom Dupree Show. Stay tuned. I've been doing what you want me. I had not intended to discuss this controversial issue at this particular time. However, I want you to know that I do not shun controversy. On the contrary, I will take a stand on any issue at any time, regardless of how fraught with controversy it might be. You have asked me how I feel about whiskey, all right? Here's how I feel about whiskey. If, when you say whiskey, you mean the devil's brew, the poison scourge, the bloody monster that defiles innocence, dethrones reason, destroys homes, creates misery and poverty, yea, literally takes the bread from the mouths of little children. If you mean the evil drink that topples Christian man and woman from the pinnacle of righteous, gracious living, into the bottomless pit of degradation and despair and shame and helplessness and hopelessness, then I certainly am against it. But if when you say whiskey, you mean the oil of conversation, the philosophic wine, the ale that is consumed when good fellows get together, that puts a song in their hearts and laughter on their lips and the warm glow of contentment in their eyes, if you mean Christmas cheer, If you mean that stimulating drink that puts a spring in the old gentleman's step on a frosty, crispy morning. If you mean that drink which enables a man to magnify his joy and happiness and to forget, if only for a little while, all of life's great tragedies and heartaches and sorrows. If you mean that drink, the sale of which pours into our treasuries untold millions of dollars which are used to provide tender care for our little crippled children, our blind, our deaf, our dumb, our pitiful aged and infirm, to build highways and hospitals and schools, then certainly I am for it. This is my stand. I will not retreat from it, and I will not compromise. So that speech uh, was... Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show with Missy Clifton. Absolutely. That speech was given by Noah Spurgeon Sweat, S-W-E-A-T, to the uh, Mississippi legislature, I don't know, sometime in the 50s, maybe 60s. Um, He was from Corinth, Mississippi. There was... Uh, on the road to Shiloh, which is the Shiloh battlefield in Tennessee, there was a little place, a little restaurant up there somewhere and just almost into Tennessee. And uh, my grandmother liked to go there. And we were there one day, and I was with my mother. And there was this gentleman in a kind of a white linen suit and a Panama kind of straw hat sitting at a table with some other people ordering, uh, I don't know, they had country ham and biscuits and fried chicken and things like that. It's a country restaurant. 
And she said, uh, that is Soggy Sweat over there. His nickname was Soggy, you know, like Soggy Sweat, so- Wet from Sweat. Everybody in Mississippi's got a nickname. And uh, she said, would you like to meet him? He's a famous man. He was an older man at that point. And I went over to his table and met him. And and for some stupid reason, I told him I was thinking about going to law school. Which I, I don't know why I said you that. You like to argue a lot, so that might have been. No, no, he was a big-time lawyer. But the point is I met him, the guy that gave that speech. And anyway, uh, that's one of the high points of my life, certainly. Missy, what you got? What you got? Uh Oh gosh, Tom. I don't know. Uh, we were we were talking uh, earlier again about um, armed forces. Again, the low numbers. The Biden administration uh, kind of failing in getting re- new recruitments. Um, but I'm telling you, you know, it's a. Uh, you know me. You got to go back around to the that COVID vaccination, which is uh, reading a lot of articles. Uh, still, one of the biggest issues. Collective growth. Uh, I know, I know, and it's just still. It just won't go away. It just it, it doesn't it, go it away. Won't go away. And you know there are still. Who thousands. else you know that's really talking about it? Well, as long as people are still wearing masks. Excuse me. As long as people are still wearing masks. Are you asking people it, to wear masks? No, I'm saying as long as they're still wearing them in public places. You can talk about I, the I, I, I just don't even know what to say when I see those folks with masks on. I'm, I'm sorry. At any rate. Um, it's like they've and, been bent. Well, it, and the ones it's that are like wearing it are the vaccinated. like they've been psychologically bent. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, well, yeah. all I was going to say was is that there are thousands of National Guard and servicemen that still uh, have requested exemptions and are still sitting on the fence for, you know, their, their, their exemptions and their religious reasons. And... Uh, I just think it's interesting that, uh, you know, the, the push has backed off a little bit. Um, in fact, um, uh, Army Brigadier General Thomas Mancino wrote in a memo, there's no negative administrative or legal action will be taken against anyone who doesn't get the vaccine. And so now they're starting to back away from it, saying we're not going to push anybody. Um, there's still time for them to make a decision, you know, to get one done. And in fact, you know, over um, so Texas Governor Greg Abbott sued Joe Biden and the Pentagon over its military vaccine mandate last March 2022. Over 40 percent of the Texas National Guard are refusing to get it. Um, by the way, you know, this is the same government that fired the nurses who said no vaccine now say women just lost their fundamentals right to choose and you know whatever um i just find this the, the whole it's it, all very tortured logic would you do would you not absolutely the most tortured logic ever um one of my favorite things to do is to read uh there's some really really good researchers on substack that um you know these are these okay. are okay when she started saying one of Sorry. my favorite things to do, we yes. should put the disclaimer, don't try this at home. Yeah, right. You know? Something like that. So no, explain Substack. Well, you know, sub, Substack, you know, they're, you know, uh, one of the one of the the big complaints, of course, is freedom of speech and getting good information out there so that at least you can weigh your options. Because if you you really want a debate to be two sided, you want to sure. hear everything on both sides so that you can make an educated choice. Right. And in fact, that's called an informed consent that you have the information in front of you. Well, all right. Since I can't convince anybody to download uh, the you know the 
volumes of paper from the Pfizer document drop, um, I could at least provide nine pages of adverse effects that are, are associated with the COVID uh, shots. Interestingly, um, some of the information gets scrubbed before people can get to it, you know, because in, in this in this in this age of technology, you put a link out there and dang, me, you know, people can grab onto it. They can they can look at it and then it goes away. Right. It says it's no longer available, right? Or information gets redacted. It gets changed. It gets viewed in a different way. Curious, when you have all of these researchers, um, scientists, uh, you know, data, data crunchers that, you know, for universities, people who are trying to get the information from both sides of, of the fence. And, and so they can make that, you know, they can make that, that informed decision. Curiously, one of the, um, I, I watched, there, and what they do is, is they download it, they capture it. They get screenshots of it before it's changed so that they can show you what what's different about it, okay? Right. So, you know... They don't uh, rely on technology to preserve itself. Exactly. That's exactly right. Or the, in, in technology, the integrity of the original research to be put out there. Because I, I talked about this on a show back a couple months ago that either the, arm, either the armed force folks were seriously, seriously ill for years and no one recognized it or something went heinously wrong in the last year and a half. Give me your numbers. And, what are you looking okay, at? Okay, that's what I'm going to say. That so I was looking at one of the one of the researchers uh, that lost their job, by the way. Um, stunning numbers from the Defense Medical Epidemiology Database, which is called the DEMED, D E M E D, um, and these were. What he had done was go in and capture the the raw information that they that Thomas Rents, who's I don't know if anybody knows him, he's the attorney that is really going out hard to represent our armed forces and those particularly the armed forces that did not want to. That, Let's hear the numbers. Okay, well hold on, but he he works for Ohio Stand Up, American Make uh, American uh, Frontline Doctors, which I think some people are familiar with. Here's just a few cancer upgrades for un, in the defense medical epidemiology database okay 794 percent increase in malignant neoplasma of the esophagus 524 percent increase in malignant neoplasma of the stomach colon and pancreas breast cancer up 387 percent ovarian cancer up 537%, testicular cancer, up 269%. These numbers were all found in 2021. And, and when they found out the attorney Thomas Rents and a whistleblower had this data, they basically started scrubbing and altering it and taking it down. But it was captured for some, you know, for, for those that were interested in that information. I mean, it's it's overwhelming to look at. And, and I said last week, I need to know that the FDC, the CDC, and all those government entities entities have our best interest Just anecdotally, in I'm talking to somebody, let's just say, at a place I do business. And this woman is looking sad. And I said, you know, you're not your normal self. My husband is terminal. He's in his 40s. What happened? Out of the blue esophageal cancer i didn't ask did he have the vaccine i already knew the answer 
because she's in healthcare and da da da. The point is, this is something nobody wants to talk about. Why do we? Why do we have a term now called SADS, sudden adult death syndrome? Does that make any sense to anybody? That when you see forty-three-year-old died suddenly, no pre, you know, conditions. Twenty-year-old died on the soccer field. I, why is that all of a sudden that's normal? SADS I I, is I a new know. term. Sudden a death, death falling syndrome. falling over and dying. All right. The thing that I think that I'm feeling in my spirit, because I pray a lot. I wake up at 3 a.m. and I, I do a lot of praying. And I, I believe in God. I believe in the spiritual power of prayer. And I feel this thing in my spirit sometimes. And, I'm, <clears throat> and I rely on this to do a lot of things. That we've been under such a dark cloud of deception and lies in this country. Anybody with half a brain knows that there were huge irregularities in the last election. Perhaps way more than enough to swing the outcome. Anybody with half a brain knows that if you look at the uh, concerted effort of... of, uh, enemies of our former president that they are so focused on his destruction that it's beyond all reason and anybody with half a brain can see that the average person walking around on the street regardless of political persuasion has become so used to being lied to and uh really in a way intellectually abused by our leaders nowadays that they've in some ways way down inside the part of your life where you dream dreams and think about a better future they've given up the point of this show if we are ever going to do anything of real value is to try to take that part inside of you that feels like it's being snuffed out every day and try to say, don't be, don't lose hope. You know, yeah, you've been lied to. If you don't read the Bible, maybe you should start. Maybe there are things in there that could give you hope. I don't care what your religion is. You know, you could read it if you're a Muslim or or a non-religious person. So many people nowadays, you know, when they are asked what their religion is, they say none. So forget your religion. Look at the Bible as a non-religious book and simply, you know, a source for ideas about how the world may or may not end up being. Not a thing that started all the churches or church buildings that we see when we drive around. Don't think of it that way. Think of it as sort of revolutionary ideas about how to live, about how to approach a higher power, and about how the world may end up ending or beginning, whichever way you want to look at it. Well, I, you know, I, I'm I'm still at the uh, even the other day I ran into someone. They said, "Oh, um, had a mask on," and I said, "I said, oh, are you okay?" 
and they said, oh, just getting over COVID, um, it said, you know, good news, um, I was double boosted, at least I didn't have to go to the hospital. And I swear to God, I'm, I'm scratching my head thinking, that, that, how, that whole how thing. does this make any sense? How is that, wait a minute, hold on, just think about this. What vaccine in the history of the world doesn't protect you from the disease, it protects you from severe disease? I don't get it. Disease versus severe disease. So it doesn't protect you at all from the disease. It just protects you from keeping keeping you from getting it really badly, or I guess something like that. Well, one thing that you can know for sure, and I've studied the pharmaceutical industry for decades. The pharmaceutical industry is an industry in need of a disease to produce a cure. What is the cure? The cure is not a pill. The cure is a revenue stream. What do pharmaceutical companies do? They try to create revenue streams. Now, there's one problem. When a drug is brought to market, the minute it gets filed with the FDA, which is sometimes 7 to 10 years away from the drug actually making it onto the market, a clock starts ticking. You know what that clock is? 18 years. They got 18 years to have a patent on that drug. Doesn't matter if seven to 10 of those years are taken up in FDA trials. That's time during which they can't market the drug. Well, and it's- so th- well, think about it in a minute. What if Google or, or Microsoft or any of these companies created uh, a software thing and it was said you can only have that patent for 18 years and then at that point it ha- you have to share all your source code with somebody and it has to go generic that, that that brings about an interesting uh thought about this is that why do you need a booster for a variant that's no longer around because it makes somebody some money that's what I'm saying. You're, but, you know, you, they, they upgrade the flu every year saying Here, new, here's, new here's variant. Here's the problem. This, this is, okay. Our political class, and I mean Republicans and Democrats, are so in bed with the pharmaceutical industry, as is the medical community, that that's what drives the train. Otherwise, why the hell would they be talking about vaccinating six-month-olds? Yeah, I don't. I mean, g- give me a break of something that's gone. They've created a demand for something that, Still needs to be marketed. All right, I want to talk about the first person. You got about 30 seconds. All right, first person convicted of trafficking no one. She's slain Maxwell. She gets 20 years, and we have no idea who her client list is. Nobody. She's convicted of doing something, but we have no idea. Don't be looking at me. I don't know her. I I, I just want to know is will we ever know anybody on this list? Just saying. (laughs) We might, we might not. But guess what? It's 4th of well, July. We know, we, we're pretty sure Bubba was on there. Okay. It's 4th of July weekend, and this is one of our favorite, favorite songs. Takes me back to the beginning of the pandemic when, when this came out. It was... So, Congressman Andy Barr is going to be joining us for a special edition of the Tom Dupree Show in the second hour. A little change of pace for this weekend. We're going to close this show out with this great song by Lee Greenwood and Home Free. So this is a Lee Greenwood song. 
and but he's singing at the beginning and then home free this lovely vocal group of young guys picks it up and this song came out in i think 2020 right kind of in the middle of covid let's just let our listeners listen we'll talk to you next hour with congressman andy barr Today